Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. More specifically, you're listening to another kind of, like, placeholder episode, because still, after so many months, I'm still working every single day, all day, on the novel that I've been writing, Cuba Fruit. Now, as a gesture of gratitude for those of you who still, like, listen to the show, who still subscribe, and if you're a patron, you're already getting this, but I'm mailing out some small little booklets that are sort of self-contained, completed parts of Cuba Fruit. And if you want one of those, just send your mailing address to me at thousandmovieproject at gmail.com. And now on to a little episode. So I did something kind of, what I wanted to talk about is that I did something that feels kind of unethical, but I did it because I was kind of uncomfortable. I don't know, you could tell me if this is wrong. So I have a colleague, and he is very, very friendly to all of the other colleagues. He's incredibly hardworking. He picks up every task that comes his way. He never complains about anything, but there is something a little bit off about him. And it's hard to articulate, but I can tell you that one time, uh, a cop, in, right, right in front of the restaurant, a cop... was trying to ask him some questions about the nature of his car, and the dude started screaming at the cop, like putting his finger in the cop's face and screaming. And then, like, after that whole scene, some people at the restaurant Googled him. They found out some sinister things. Foremost among those sinister things, the fact that he tells us he has a different name than what his name actually is. And so I now, like, I'm totally normal with this guy, but I am a little bit cautious. There's There's a palpable edge to him, and now there, as someone brought to the fore, there is substantial evidence on the internet that he is someone maybe not to be fucked with. Foremost among those pieces of evidence was, I thought, his Instagram. It's this thing, and maybe you've noticed it, but it's like where someone is obsessively present on social media, but they are not yet social media savvy. Like, they haven't adapted to the language of hashtags and captions and memes and, you know, kind of standard social media irony or self-awareness. And so, on their Instagram, they will be posting three or seven photos a day, and it will be a photo, like, for instance, it'll be a photo of a grown man sitting in a shopping cart eating yogurt. And there will be no description, no caption, no hashtag, no joke, no no, no one is tagged, so you can go on their profile and maybe deduce from their gallery of photos why they're eating yogurt in a shopping cart. And so, suddenly, what would seem like a totally innocuous image of, you know, a little weird, of a grown man eating yogurt inside of a shopping cart, maybe kind of a kooky image if you just dropped a little LOL at the bottom, now, suddenly, given its complete absence of context, that photo becomes spooky. And I don't know if that's just me, because I like horror so much as it's like my favorite genre. And also, I'm always bent towards kind of, I kind of project narratives onto things that don't actually have narratives. But now, suddenly, I look at this photo, and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Why is he in a shopping cart? Does he live in the shopping cart? Is he eating yogurt because he has no teeth? Did he lose, does he, because he has no teeth, did he lose the teeth to methamphetamines? Also, turn the question around, who's taking the photo? Why are they taking the photo? Do they know the man in the cart? Do they just take photos of men in carts? But anyways, that and that is kind of what this colleague's Instagram feed is like. I mean, there will j- like there's just a picture 
of a child on a sidewalk and the child is holding someone's hand. The adult is out of frame and you're like, who's, is that your child? Do you know this child? Who's, whose hand is this child holding? Where is this taking place? I, but I know I'm being long-winded here because I feel guilty because I was looking online and it's kind of like you're supposed to ask people's permission before you do a background check. Also, you're supposed to have like a legitimate reason. You're supposed to be doing it for reasons of employment. You're maybe going to hire this person and you want you want to know if you can trust them with, you know, the key to a safe or whatever. And so I looked up this dude's record and he has done a lot of crime, all, the, all, almost all of it. But again, this dude is nice to me. Um, it was a frightening reading experience, but I tempered it with a, with a constant reminder that he has never done anything mean to me or any colleagues. I've never seen him get out of hand with a customer. And he, he is an ideal colleague in a way because he never complains about a task. He's quick to help you with anything that you are doing. And very often, I have seen that when someone has not made any money in a given shift, he will just start surrendering his tables to that person. And so now I'm trying hard to make sure that what I'm describing to you now is the prevailing impression that I maintain of this guy, that I don't allow him to become, in my mind, the sum total of crimes that he has committed, which seems like a weird thing to say, and I don't know, is it just me being, like, super, like, I don't know, reflexively progressive about this thing of, like, looking at a, a very long 20-year rap sheet of crime and saying, like, oh, well, you know what, let me not judge him. But I do think, like, no, I shouldn't judge him because he treats me like a fucking saint. He's a fucking cool dude in my company and, and in the company of college, in, in the workspace. And so that is, I'm going to make an effort, like a pointed effort of treating him just like a peer. Now, will I exercise a bit of caution around him now that I know he's got some violent inclinations? Yeah, I'm going to do that. And I don't mean, it's, it's not like, you know, if, he's, if he walks up behind me and says hello, I'm going to like spill my drink. I don't think I will. Nor does it mean like I'm going to shower him with compliments or, or never mention it if he inconveniences me because I'm afraid he's going to fly off the handle. I'm going to conduct myself around this man as though he does have it within him to turn violent in a flash. And as I was having that thought, it reminded me of that Flannery O'Connor short story. It's called A Good Man is Hard to Find, and in it, there is a serial killer called The Misfit. And toward the end of the story, The Misfit ha is holding at gunpoint an old woman, and the old woman is being very sweet with him, and she's asking him questions, and she's showing great sympathy and compassion, even though, earlier in the story, we saw this woman be sour and nihilistic and self-absorbed and crude. But so she's asking him questions. She's, he's flowering. He's opening up to her. He almost seems repentant for his crimes. But then she gets a little too close and she touches him on the arm and he reels back away from her and he shoots her in the head and she falls down and she dies. And as he's standing over the old woman's body, one of his henchmen comes up to him and he says, wow, she seemed like a really nice lady. And the misfit turns to his henchman and he says, she would have been a really nice lady if there'd been someone to hold a gun on her every day of her life. And now I'm paraphrasing that closing line, but I, but I was thinking like, that's kind of true. That's kind of what I'm going to be doing with my colleague. But isn't that true for everybody? Like I was thinking, like not, not only should I behave this way around my colleague, I'm thinking it would be good if I went through my daily life just assuming that everyone around me has a vast criminal, a violent criminal record and that they will they they will violence me in a heartbeat if I should treat them poorly and that should temper whatever you know flashes of, of selfishness that I have in the course of a week where maybe I you know I with abandon I'll say something snarky to a person whether a colleague or a customer or, or, or a service person whatever 
Incidentally, an elderly man vomited at me on Saturday night. He and his wife had ordered a large pizza with extra cheese and extra pepperoni, along with 10 chicken wings, and the man, he's making yummy noises. He's one of these people who's a delight. It's a delight to watch them enjoy a meal. This is a man who loves food, and so, whatever, he's cool, and we were chit-chatting, whatever. But along with his meal, he was drinking glass after glass of strawberry lemonade. And one of the, as the bartender, one of my tasks when I'm opening up the restaurant is I have to brew that lemonade in accordance with an in-house recipe. And maybe this is actually the kind of, you know, confession that w would cost me my job if the, if the podcast got out. But there are seven to, seven to eight cups, cups of, cups of sugar in one gallon of that homemade lemonade. And here was, this old man was ingesting that along with lots of white bread and it turns out that he was diabetic. So at one point in the evening, he's looking a little woozy, but I'm figuring maybe because it was late, and I was like, ah, maybe he's just old and tired, and he's really full and groggy. So I, I go up to him, and I'm like, hey, sir, how's everything? And the dude looks up at me. He opens his mouth as though to speak, and a rope of bile leaps out across the table like a frog. Like, he did not lurch. It, it was definitely projectile vomiting, but he did not lurch to project it. Incidentally, you know what used to make me gag? There was a pop song. Oh my god, I can't remember what it was called, but it's the one where the chorus is like, well, I hate to even repeat it. It's the one where the chorus is like, and every time I hear it, it's like a digital rendering, but every time I hear it, I hear someone gagging. I would listen to the song and like the bass drops and they're like, anyways, the vomit left his mouth of its own accord, you would think that the vomit had just been liberated from some political turmoil or sexual repression. The vomit did not hit me, fortunately, but I did have to clean it up afterward. And in the process of cleaning it up, it, there was a line that flashed through my mind, and I hate myself whenever this line flashes through my mind. And the sentence was, this is not in my job description. But I tempered it by saying, like, no, it's not. It's not in my job description, but... It is 10 p.m. right now, I want to get the fuck out of here. So I'm not going to stand around waiting for someone who's willing to clean up vomit. Because no one's job description says, oh, you are the vomit cleaner. No one would apply to that job. Although, if someone did apply to the job of a vomit cleaner at my restaurant, I guarantee you, the restaurant would, like, demand a bachelor's degree and pay them less than minimum wage. You know what I, incidentally, while cleaning the vomit, what I did was, kind of what I do after I clean, after I kill a roach, um, I cross my, whenever I have to clean up the body, which I tend not to do when I kill a roach, um, I cross my eyes. I cross my eyes so that the cockroach is blurred in my vision, and also I don't look directly at it, so I cross my eyes and I look to the side, and then I, I scoop the cockroach, the cock, the cock, carcass, the carcaractus, the carcaractus, though there's a John Updike poem where he says, it, he opens with the line, the cars in Caracas make a rakakus. But back to the process of cleaning undesirable things, I cross my eyes so I blur it and then I look away so I'm not confronting it. And um, I, I think this is probably a metaphor for how I, how I approach other problems in my life. Anyways, so my point with that is just that this is another mentality I want to go through my life with. I want to banish from my mind that reflexive question of, oh, who is this in my job description? No, it's not. I want to no longer be discriminating about, I because I, I feel sometimes like a Dr. Seuss character of like, the things at my job that I will and will not do. I should instead be like, what can I do to advance this situation and let me go do that thing? And, in, and incidentally, asking myself that question, what can I do? You know what that reminds me of? 
John Fitzgerald Kennedy with his, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I don't feel any particular way about Jack Kennedy, um, but for the past three weeks or so, I've been reading James Elroy's Underworld USA trilogy, which is a series of like historical political crime novels. And the first book in that trilogy, it's called American Tabloid. It's a, it's a fucking brilliant, wonderful, mind-bending book. And it's all about, basically all about the Kennedy assassination. And I was listening to an interview with uh, James Elroy, and he said that he found in his research both Jack and his brother Bobby Kennedy were in the habit of going to expensive, very expensive New York restaurants, racking up a hundred or two hundred dollar bill in like nineteen sixty dollars. I don't know what that would even be today. But then they would just walk out of the restaurant. They wouldn't pay it, and it wasn't just that they wouldn't pay it, but they would conduct themselves as though they had gr they had left the restaurant in their debt for having graced it with their presence another thing james elroy mentioned in um in a, in an interview about a different book he was talking about jack kennedy and like a, you know apparently there i i have seen photos of um jack kennedy like dead on the slab the autopsy photos Appa i don't remember seeing his penis but apparently there are photos where you can see his penis and james elroy said jack kennedy was hung like a cashew and then it occurred to me, like, cashews look like dicks. Cashews look like flaccid penises. But then, like, I'm reluctant to Google, because now I kind of want to see it. Like, I'm reluctant to Google Jack Kennedy autopsy photos, because I know it was really unsettling at the time that I saw it, and I think it is kind of uncharacteristic of me to see that here's a famous person's penis and I didn't notice it, but it does make sense that I might have been distracted by the gigantic hole in his head. But back to the restaurant thing, and then that anecdote reminded me of the other anecdote, something that I've always liked, which is the idea that Picasso would sometimes do something similar insofar as he would go to a fancy restaurant, he would rack up an enormous bill, but instead of paying the bill with cash, he would just doodle something on a napkin, autograph it, give it to his server, and his server would understand that this, this original Picasso on a cocktail napkin is worth ten times whatever the meal cost. But it occurs to me that I've never, like, looked into it. It could very well be the case that this only happened once. It could very well be the case that it never happened at all. But that anecdote has stayed with me since I first heard of it, like, ten years ago. And I think I heard something last night that gives me an idea as to why I find that story so compelling. So, last night, on the eve of their departure, to Salt Lake City, where they now have rented a, uh, an apartment, my very close friends Bob and Linda joined my girlfriend and me for dinner at Batch Gastropub. And uh, so uh, Linda is telling me a story re about how recently, I think they were in Gainesville, or I, I, they were somewhere, and she met someone around our age, and they were hitting it off. And so uh, as they're parting ways, Linda says to this woman, hey, what are you on Instagram? And the woman says, yeah. And so they're, they're trading information. Linda finds her profile, clicks follow, and she sees that I am their one mutual friend. And so Linda says to this woman, oh, you know Alex Sarando. And the woman goes, yeah, I used to work with him at Miami-Dade College. And so Linda says to her, oh, does Alex tell you incredibly long fucking stories that go nowhere? And the woman was like, haha, yeah, he does all the time. And then she hastened to add, allegedly, that I was always very interesting whenever I went on these long digressive riffs. These, these, and I, and I know what she's talking about. These, these sick, I, I feel helpless to them, legitimately helpless. These six or seven minute digressions that I go into about God knows what kind of fucking 
cultural arcana in order to make a point about the fact that, like, you know, the reason you asked me what my favorite snack was, and rather than telling you what my favorite snack was, I, I say, oh, you know why I can't eat Vienna sausages? It's because they've got a texture that's, it's, it's, it feels like a squeegee on my teeth. It makes like a squeegee noise, but also the smell of the can when I open it, it reminds me too much of, like, the mid-90s when I was a kid, and my mom would cut them up and, and like, mix the Vienna sausages in, in white rice. There's something about that smell. I kind of synchronize it in my mind reflexively with the smell of diapers and, like, just, you know, powders and, and the shit, the accoutrement of having a child, and I think that I don't like remembering that because I'm now 30 and the question of having children kind of terrorizes me. It so terrorizes me that I don't even want to remember the circumstances of my own relatively wonderful childhood. No one asked me for that story. And I can't help fucking veering conversations in that direction, and I think it's partly because I spend so much fucking time alone, hopping around from books to books and writing project to writing project. But anyways, I am self-conscious about that often, the thing I'm often reminded of by people who, who like me, that I talk a lot, that sometimes I, 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 am, I am blind, that I am often quite blind to the social cues that, it, okay, Alex, it's time to stop talking. But And I think that's part of what so compels me about that little anecdote of, of, of Picasso and, you know, drawing things to get out of having to pay for shit. I think what, what, what I romance is the idea that you, your voice, is so recognized as valuable that people will, will like, they will take that in lieu of currency with which they could buy goods and services. Because you are the service, you are the goods. Um, I didn't expect that little bit of wordplay. But I think, toxically, I almost conduct myself like Picasso, acting as though, oh, a long digression came to mind while I'm in conversation with someone? I'll pursue that. Let me just go ahead and talk for minutes and minutes about anything I want. I should not do that. I should instead temper myself. I need to be concise in making my points about things. I need to keep my opinions to myself. I need to speak my thoughts as though everyone within earshot is a violent criminal with somewhere to be. And thus I should find myself manifesting the grace of a person who lived their entire life under the moral scrutiny of a gun barrel. If you like what you heard and you'd like to hear more of it, you can of course check out our back catalog, but you can also support the show by becoming a patron. If you go to patreon.com forward slash thousand movie project, or if you just go to patreon.com, there's like a search bar. I don't know if you can find this show if you just type in my name, but definitely if you type in the name of the show, it will come up. All those donations get pulled up and they amount ultimately to like what I would earn at a every month, what I would earn in a shift of bartending, which means that every now and then I can take off a bartending shift and just churn out an episode. Apart from providing some financial breathing room, it's also super like encouraging to think that anyone is listening to this and they're like so interested and so supportive that they're going to like throw a few bucks at me. Like, so for the, for the financial well-being of the show, the regularity of the show, and for the, the warming kernel of encouragement, you can, again, Go to patreon.com, search for a thousand movie project podcast, and make a, make a pledge. As usual, thank you for listening, and thanks for your support.